Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 52. Today is Tuesday, September 29th, 2020. It is the second week of college football in the SEC, technically week five of college football as it has been going on for a little bit now but the SEC is really kicking things into gear and we are too here on the Galloway podcast today we're talking with Andrew Monaco the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies make sure you follow him on Twitter at Andrew Monaco underscore SR so we'll talk with Andrew in a moment as always we'll do what's new on the Galloway podcast and this fall on these football episodes the what's new is going to be more of a around the SEC scoreboard looking at at last week's SEC scores and games, and uh, I'll share a couple of opinions and things on that. We'll obviously have our interview this week. It's with Andrew Monaco, and then we'll finish up, as we always do, with Around Alabama Athletics and a quick look at what's happening with other sports for the Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa. Reminder, the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. So let's get the podcast rolling here on Episode 52. We start with what's new, and this week in the Around SEC scoreboard, taking a look back at some games, Auburn got the best of Kentucky, 29-13. to That game was in Auburn. Bo Nix with uh, some touchdowns and 233 yards, and Seth Williams had a really good game. Of course, uh, Tuscaloosa or Cottondale, whichever native you want to consider, Seth Williams um, from the Tuscaloosa area, 112 yards receiving, and some touchdowns from him as well. Florida got the best of Ole Miss, kind of as expected, and Florida, the number five team in the country, um, Kyle Trask really put on a show. I mean, 416 yards through the air, four first-half touchdowns, just really impressive performance from him there, and uh, Lane Lane Kiffin was was swagging, of course, got off the bus with a baseball jersey and had the Kobe um, mask on, the the buff, I guess you want to call it. But uh, we'll see what what Lane Kiffin does here in a couple weeks against Alabama. But, of course, Florida got the best of Ole Miss, 51-35. All eyes were on the Mississippi State-LSU game as Mike Leach and the Air Raid and the boys got the best of number then number six LSU, uh, 44 to 34. KJ Costello, I mean, what a player! 623 yards in the air. Are you kidding me? All, all, my my big takeaway from that game is that Alabama's homecoming game, not excuse me, not homecoming Halloween game on October 31st just got a lot more interesting. That. 82-mile stretch between Starkville and Tuscaloosa just seemed to get a whole lot closer in Mississippi State's performance. We know Mike Leach is really not messing around. Big win over the defending national champion. And how about this? 1998, the year I was born, was the last time the defending national champion lost its home opener. So it had been 22 seasons, and LSU was the first team since 98 to lose its season opener after winning a national championship. Speaking of 98, Tennessee and South Carolina. Tennessee went on the road in Columbia and won 31-27. Obviously, we saw Jarrett Garantano and his performance there. Um, it's a pretty a pretty solid game, but all eyes in that 6 o'clock hour were on the Alabama-Missouri game. Of course, we saw the Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, offensive show. We saw Christian Harris uh, play really well for Alabama in that 38-19 win. Dylan Moses, the whole defense was fun to watch, and it was just great to see Alabama back on the field. We'll talk more about Alabama and specifically Texas A&M with Andrew Monaco here in a moment. And, of course, Texas A&M 
as we wrap things up, got the best of Vanderbilt 17 to 12. We'll talk with Andrew about what he saw in that game. And then last but not least, Georgia got the best of Arkansas uh, with a 32 point second half. Um, you know, it was, it was a weird, weird game up at halftime. It was seven to five. And, you know, was, that's a, that's a little league baseball score, uh, but 32 points from Georgia in the second half, got them to win at Arkansas over Sam Pittman, 37 to 10 and the quarterback, uh, situation in Georgia was interesting with Stetson Bennett, of course, kind of boomeranging around and um, ending up back in Athens. Um, but Alabama, Georgia is up in a couple weeks as well. So a, a really solid, fun first week of SEC football. I mean, I had, I had a great time watching. I think everyone had a great time watching. There were some really good games. It was interesting that only two out of the seven games had a single-digit line, uh, but a lot of the games ended up being more entertaining, and maybe they didn't come down to the wire, but they were just entertaining to watch as well. And, of course, only two games ended up within uh, single digits of each other. That was Vandy, Texas A&M, a five-point ending there, and then Tennessee, South Carolina, a four-point game as well. So we're going to go ahead and bring in the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies, Andrew Monaco, here on the Galloway Podcast. The Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, please feel free to tweet me at WM underscore Galloway. I'm joined now by Andrew Monaco, the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies. Andrew, good morning. And uh, Alabama, Texas A&M this week, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great and just got a lot more excited because of that, because it is the Aggies and the Crimson Tide on Saturday. It's going to be a really great game. But before we jump into that, let's take a look back at this weekend and the 17-12 to win for the Aggies over Vanderbilt. What were some of your major takeaways um, in that season opening game? It was good to see the defense step up when they had to. We were hoping that we weren't going to have to see that defense make those stands at the end. And this, is a, this is a football team that had practiced through camp and through game week very, very well. And it, wasn't, it didn't seem to be as if it was the same level um, on Saturday against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt comes in with a lot of unknowns, a freshman quarterback from here in the state of Texas, uh, but a very good defense. So there was that unknown, and they played very well. But you know you're going to get that from a Derek Mason coach team, that's for sure. The, Looking for a Kellen Mond to come back, you, I think we're, the expectations were to be really sharp, but new wide receivers to see the different running backs. I think the expectations were higher, but as Jimbo says, look, it's a lot easier to coach and, and, and teach and correct after a win, and ultimately that's what the Aggies got on Saturday. The, the game itself was, um, it was interesting. I mean, you know, you had a lot, of, a lot of eyes in the SEC this past weekend were on that LSU-Mississippi State game. And, and just a five-point win, and this may be a stretch of a question here, but do you think there might have been a little oversight from Texas A&M because Alabama is in week two? Normally, I would say yes, and I'll, I'll answer yes to the that's, – that's a human factor to do that. The reason why I'm going to say no is – these guys have all played under Jimbo Fisher for two years, and you never look down the line. Your, your, your next game, that immediate opponent, there's that immediacy. He, he wants you to be in that moment. So that's where I'm going to say no. This comes down to SEC talent is SEC talent. Best teams, worst teams, you still got guys who can compete in, in the SEC. Could they have? Yeah, I can always say that. But I, I, would, be, I would be surprised because you've got, you haven't played football in almost a year. The last time that you've actually gone game speed is Texas Bowl against Oklahoma State and that win. 
first time to hit somebody else in another uniform. So not just, and I think it's the talent of Vanderbilt, but I'd be kidding myself if I didn't think human nature of like, oh, we've got Alabama and then we've got Florida. But you learn quickly under Jimbo Fisher, you better not do that or you won't have those opportunities against those teams. You'll get someone who is in the moment. Right, and it's that way not just for Texas A&M, but for each team. I mean, the SEC 10-game schedule, there's, there are no breaks except for your bye week, and even then you got to be preparing for the following team. With this Texas A&M team, you got 16 to 17 guys uh, returning as starters. What is the biggest strength in your eyes of this Aggie football team? I like this defensive line an awful lot. Uh, returning, gosh, everybody. I, although they, they mixed in a, a freshman, one of the high recruits, but I think this defensive line, and I say that I talked to my partner, Dave Elmendorf, who's a Hall of Famer, plays on the back end. He was a safety here with uh, not just the Aggies, safety in the NFL for a decade with the Rams. And we we're talking about the defensive line. And, and I say, how's that affect your back end? He said, when your defensive line puts pressure on a quarterback, oh, that helps you on the back end so much more. And I think that becomes one of the strengths. I think another one of the strengths becomes the linebacking core. Last year, we kind of held our breath what was going to happen if one of the linebackers were to get injured, but the depth, and, and that really is for what Jimbo Fisher has brought in in three recruiting classes, has added to that depth. But you make an interesting point. Last year, the Aggies had six seniors total on their roster, and that was including walk-ons. That number now of juniors and seniors is 28. So I think that experience helps you navigate a 10-game SEC-only schedule. Absolutely. That sounds like a huge advantage. And you talk about that defensive side of the ball. Well, we all know Alabama uh, has got some weapons all over the offensive side, including a very strong offensive line. So what do the Aggies have to do this week defensively to stop and contain this relatively high-power uh, Alabama offense? Tackle. And I'm not trying to be funny here tackle the initial hit because Alabama will kill you with yards after contact so good at that they can throw the ball downfield as well but if you don't make that initial hit that four or five yard gain becomes 15 or 20. Jimbo Fisher really preaches the big plays that you get as a team and that you give up and then how do you deal with those big plays? And I think that's what Alabama is so good with is those big plays on offense. Look, they get the big plays on defense too, forcing turnovers. And they're great on special teams. Those big plays are momentum swingers. Those big plays are knockout punches. So I think the, the ability to tackle, the ability to make it as short as possible, gain as short as possible, and then get Alabama, if possible, second and long, third and long. If it's second and short, third and short, advantage Crimson Tide, that's for sure. What do you think is the biggest threat in the Alabama offense, not just that Alabama poses to Texas A&M, but in general? Um, what do you see? Is it, is it Mac Jones returning? Is it the wide receiver core, offensive line? Well, the line's got to give Jones time, correct? But – Gosh, with the receiving core, with a Waddle who can hurt you, but a Najee Harris who can take off on any single play, uh, a tight end like Forrestal who's a hybrid tight end receiver but can also block. I think it's a, I think it's really all of that the way it works in concert. Look, I'd be kidding. You know, here's a guy I I almost always talk about um, the guys with their hands in the dirt. That's that's a, that's how Jimbo refers to offense and defensive line. 
those guys make it all happen as well. And with Alabama having that experience, Jimbo always talks about being so well coached, so well conditioned. And the key to Alabama is it starts during the week. The competition throughout the week has all those players ready on Saturday. And, and I wonder if Jimbo Fisher has taken that as an assistant of Nick Saban and really taught his teams at Florida State, taught the teams here at Texas a I know he's done it here at Texas A&M. It's the preparation that's the key for Saturday. Saturday has to be an easier day, easier, as I say that in the, in the SEC, an easier day than, than how you've – the competition that you faced Monday through Friday. And for the new guys, the new recruits who didn't have a spring, um, who went through a compressed, let's call it a spring and fall camp, Sunday was the first day that they understand or will learn or be a part of the recovery of playing an SEC Saturday. The excitement of Kyle Field on Saturday night is tremendous. There's never going to be another first for them. That's their first time there. Sunday becomes key because now that's got to be in your rearview mirror. How are you going to – what film are you going to watch? How are you going to train to be ready to get back on that field on Monday, face your teammates, get that competition, learn all about Alabama, and get ready for Saturday? I think Alabama does that as well as anybody. That preparation I – would, I would dare say – that some at most weeks, that Alabama's Monday through Friday is probably tougher than their opponent on Saturday, but that's the culture, part of the culture that Nick Saban has built. It's interesting you say that because a lot of Alabama guys in the NFL will say, they'll talk about their experience at Alabama and they'll say practices were harder than the game. So it's ex exactly uh, as you were saying in your point that they're going against future first round draft picks on the opposite side of the ball, it, whether they're going, sometimes it could be the ones versus the ones, it could be the ones versus the twos. And um, you make a great point there because that's exactly what former Alabama players uh, will say that the practices are just as hard. We look at this Texas A&M team as well. And we talk about the offense. Tell me about Kellen Mond and how he's going to deal with this Alabama front seven. Um, a little bit less of an exp uh, less experienced secondary for Alabama that uh, he might be able to pick on a little bit. But how do you see Mond handling Alabama's front seven? Four years starter and three years under Jimbo Fisher. There's an understanding. When Jimbo first came in and it was a battle for this quarterback spot, uh, Kellen Mond beating out Nick Starkle for that job. But Jimbo talked about, look, it's a new offense and it's, it's almost like speaking a different language. Well, then last year they were speaking the same language. Now Kellen can really talk to Jimbo. <laughs> They've elevated it even more. And, and he's seeing things that he hadn't seen before. And there's a confidence. Kellen actually admitted during camp, that there was a little lack of – there was a fear of failure more than anything, is what he said. So he went back to junior year of what he could do, and he wants that confidence and that leadership. I think that leadership, he's always been a leader. Now he's being a little more vocal. Now can his offensive line give him time? Does it, this is how it has to translate into Saturday. That offensive line has to give him time. His receivers, which is still building chemistry, some of them are – not new, new on Saturday. They've, they've practiced together. And can he get that running game going with Anaya Spiller and, I, and Isaiah, excuse me, Anaya Smith and Isaiah Spiller behind him, the, the two backs. But the understanding of this offense, the understanding that Kellen's never shrunk in a big moment. So he has played in that stadium once. He has played Alabama three times. 
so I don't think the moment is ever too big for him. I think that's what the senior leadership does. You know, and it's not, it's, it's funny. It's not, that's not just the big game for Texas A&M, you know, to, to have to go into Clemson last year, to have Clemson come here two years ago. You know, you're always getting a test on an, on an SEC Saturday anyway. But I just think that experience that, that he has, also that preparation. But Jimbo really, he pointed out the biggest thing that he's noticed from Kellen is that vocal leadership going forward and how that rubs off not just on his backup quarterbacks, but his in, entire team. I asked Jimbo last week during his coach's show, I said, who's harder on Kellen, him or you? And Jimbo paused. He said, you know, at this point of his career, it might be him. He said, look, I still get on him a little bit. <laughs> he said, but he might be actually harder on himself right now because he wants that, that excellence and, you know, this, this is a chance. One of the legacies. He's near the top of all these Texas A&M quarterbacks in a lot of categories. And for Kellen, he wants to earn absolutely everything that he gets. And Jimbo Fisher is not a pushover coach, and we know that. And so for as hard as Jimbo pushes Kellen, to hear you say that, I mean, I couldn't imagine what Kellen puts himself through for, you know, to strive and be his best each week. You talked about um, Spiller. He was the only running back in the SEC last week with over 100 yards rushing. Tell me about him as a player and what it's going to take to get him going on Saturday. A kind of a back, baptism by fire last year in the SEC. Uh, when Jay Sean Corbin got hurt in Clemson, uh, really turned to Isaiah Spiller. And he, and he had to learn. He had to learn SEC speed and SEC size and SEC strength. And he had to learn to, to really handle the football. He had a problem with that early. But you could see the, the running back in him develop. He said this year that the game has slowed down for him. I dare say it, might, it may have started to slow down for him as he got deeper in the season. But he had a fumble against Alabama last year. And what, what look, looking back, that's a forgettable game. But Jimbo doesn't allow you to forget those games. You have to learn from those. And that's, that goes back to what he talks about, why Alabama is so good when they get it rolling. You can't just try to match them. You have to, you have to outplay them. But Isaiah says that the, the game has kind of slowed down for him. And we were just talking yesterday during a media availability. And I asked him, I said, you don't get carries if you're not a complete back. And Jimbo Fisher has talked about Isaiah Spiller, about an excellent blocker. He can catch the, the football out of the backfield, or you'll see Isaiah split out every once in a while. And Isaiah loves that. He loves to make something happen. But when you watch him early on, it was, man, I have to get to the hole as quick as possible and get through. There's a patience that Isaiah has. Feet are always moving. Wait for something to develop and then go. It always amazes me. And I'm going to say this about Texas A&M, but I think in college football in general. When you see that from freshmen, it's almost like, wow, you have to look at the roster. They're a fresh, freshmen in name only. They play with way more confidence. And, and you see that in Isaiah Spiller. It's not this rush to get something done. There's this vision and this pace, the good ones have it. And Isaiah has that um, to be able to make things happen. He's got a little more strength than people give him credit for. And he's got a little more speed than people uh, give him credit for. And he's able to use both to his advantage. 
the term you used a freshman in name only when you say that will anderson alabama linebacker comes to mind and what can you tell me about will anderson um from the texas a&m perspective um the uncertainty of this season and then a freshman coming in and and making i can't remember alabama a time that alabama's had a guy like him make such an impact and it's not like he had you know an incredible game it was three solo tackles but He's got a lot of hype around him. And that, that's the thing is we have to realize as I, I use the collective we as fans, you can't always look at just the number next to the tackles. What's the impact? And I'll use the defensive line as this example. That defensive tackle may not make the play, but is the linebacker making the play? Or is that defensive line doing such good work that the safety has a clean tackle and, and makes that? That Jack linebacker spot, and everybody has a different name for it in college football, is that, boy, that this is where the game has really changed. And you have those, I call them playmakers on defense. Jimbo says, guys, not just ends, but those guys can bend the rush. It's a, it's a very athletic flying around out there. To, when I say flying around, it's not reckless. You know what I mean? Right. But when you have that type of athleticism on the defense, the guys who can run from, from sideline to sideline to make a play who are never out of a play, I'm with you. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you Damani Richardson on, on our end at safety and to work alongside a safety, Dave Elmendorf. And we would joke, and I'm like, you can't tell me he's a freshman, Dave. You can't tell me that. And he says, well, he is a freshman, Andrew, <laughs> but he's not playing like a freshman. But, but guys like Will Anderson, I think we almost have to throw out the old notion. It, it, takes some, it takes some student athletes time to make that. Other guys, it's an immediate impact because I don't know how to define it. They have it. And that's a guy who had, you know, and, it, and I think that's a different pressure for Will Anderson. Oh, show me what you can do. Show me right now. And here's a guy who right. can right now. You have to know where he is on the field. But see, you, you talked about the, the back end of, of Alabama maybe not having as much experience, but that front four helps your back seven. And we walked into Brian Denny two years ago thinking, boy, that secondary is not as experienced. Biggest mistake you can make is try to pick on them, again, because of how they are going to prepare for this game. So I, I, sometimes that can fool some teams. Uh, just a freshman there until that impact is being made and, and, and making, making tackles or being in that right spot or uh, deflecting a pass or just covering a back and you can't go to that first option. You've got to go to a second or third. Uh, it, it's amazing what you're seeing from a, from a lot of guys. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, but hoping he doesn't have a great game, but I'm looking forward to guys like that, like Will Anderson, for sure. Right, right. And uh, Alabama fans certainly have a lot to look forward to in this full season and then uh, the next two probably that we'll see from him, probably just two more after this. Andrew, last question here for you. Um, two keys, one for Alabama and one for Texas A&M this Saturday. What would they be? If Alabama plays like Alabama uh, and has that confidence, that's the key for the Crimson Tide. And for that, that's, that's that. They always have that game-breaking mentality, every play. And I'm talking all three phases. Special teams have to be good. Alabama outplayed Texas A&M last year in that special team phase because you know that that's hidden yards. That flips the field. That's a big change. And you have, you have game-breakers from the opening kickoff through every, every, every punt. 
If Alabama plays like Alabama, yards after the catch, the, the big plays, chunk plays as A&M, and then how does A&M react to that? Alabama does that. It's a long day for Texas A&M. I'm going to go to Jimbo Fisher's guys with the hands in the dirt. I really think the linemen set the tone. If the offensive line can give Kellen time and open up holes, success for Texas A&M and allow them, whether it is ball control or whether they want to take a shot down the field. And that defensive line, I think, will set the tone for uh, the A&M defense. And it doesn't have to be sacks. It just you, can you keep Najee Harris to maybe two yards, something like that. And again, as I was mentioning before, can that front four help your back seven, or can that front four allow Buddy Johnson and Aaron Hansford to make tackles from their linebacking spots? Get pressure, maybe Mac Jones throw before he wants to. It's funny you can boil up a game and or, or a, a boil it down to one thing. I really I'm going to go with Jimbo Fisher's guys with the hands in the dirt will be uh, very effective if they're effective. It gives Texas A&M a chance. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, thank you so much and appreciate your time and look forward to this Saturday's showdown in Bryant-Denny. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. A great conversation with Andrew there. Really appreciate him taking the time to talk to me and set some time aside on recording on Tuesday, but of a very busy game week. I know he's got a lot going on. So thank you, Andrew, and hope you all enjoy that. You can catch the Behind Enemy Lines segment with bits taken from this podcast on WVUA Crimson Tide kickoff this week at 11 a.m. on Saturday. So be sure to check that out. And now on the Galloway podcast, we're going to go around Alabama athletics for our next segment, as we always do. We'll start in Coleman Coliseum in Alabama men's basketball. Just Sean Holt, a 6'6", 200-pound shooting guard from Roswell, Georgia, is the first 2021 commit for Alabama. Antoine Petway was his lead recruiter, and he's ranked by 247 Sports as the number five player in the state of Georgia. So Bama picking up their first commit for the 2021 season, and we'll probably see a couple more guys roll in as Alabama's got a couple seniors on this year's roster, um, and... Obviously, only losing Beetle Bolden last year, and then a bunch of guys to transfer. We'll, you know, Alabama will need, and Nate Oates will need to keep signing those guys um, to keep that roster and keep that influx. Obviously, keep those numbers up. Um, but as we know from Nate Oates' recruiting style, he probably won't have any trouble getting the guys he needs. Elsewhere in Alabama athletics, Alabama soccer is 1-1 one one on the year. They tied with Mississippi State on Friday night, and Crimson Tide had the lead most of the game, and a last-minute goal from Mississippi State took it to overtime. That was a, that was a thriller of a game. Uh, the Crimson Tide soccer team 1-1 one one on the year so far. Yesterday on Monday, the baseball and softball teams started their practice. There were some pictures released and really excited for those teams. I know specifically Patrick Murphy is excited for Team 25, and obviously both uh, baseball and softball were having successful springs and got cut short before COVID. So a lot to look forward to in the coming months as um, baseball and softball look to go on a revenge tour from getting their seasons cut short last spring. And Alabama kicks off at 2.30 on CBS this week versus Texas A&M, the home opener in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Right over 20,000 people are expected in Bryant-Denny. It'll be interesting to see what it all looks like, how it sounds on TV. Uh, the game day experience this weekend should be interesting. I'll have a report on that on next week's podcast, talking about just the game day experience and, and what that's like. Obviously, an away weekend at Missouri this past weekend was a little different, uh, but you got a little bit of a game day vibe. As a, as a student at Alabama, I felt a little bit of a game day vibe uh, from fellow students and kind of the, the feeling 
feeling in the air, you knew it was game day. So that feeling was great in Tuscaloosa this past weekend, um, watching the Crimson Tide play. And that really does it here for episode 52 of the Galloway Podcast. I want to thank Andrew Monaco for taking time, the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies, to come on the podcast and a reminder to check out the video interview with him and a preview of the game this weekend on Crimson Tide kickoff, 11 a.m. on WVUA 23. Today we went around the SEC scoreboard and what's new. We talked with Andrew Monaco, went around Alabama athletics, those things we always do here on the Galloway Podcast. I want to remind everybody that merchandise, Galloway Podcast merchandise is available. We've got a couple comfort color shirts left over, some white comfort color shirts, tumblers, coffee mugs, golf towels, game day stickers. If you want to get your Galloway Podcast accessories, let me know. DM me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. I'll get you connected with some merchandise and would love to see you rep the brand. That's it for the Galloway Podcast, episode 52. The Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.